What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about the draft, which happened last week. Going to touch on how the number one pick turned out, winners and losers of the draft. Then we're going to get into some of the drama in Brooklyn, what that could have as a ripple effect for other players and teams. And then just talk about some of the other big names on the market, like DeAndre Ayton, Bradley Beal, the DeJounte Murray rumors. And then I'm going to wrap up with just some underrated free agents that I would look out for. So starting off with the draft, um, I was extremely surprised that Paolo ended up going number one. I have no idea if the Magic just hadn't made up their mind or <laughs> if it was really just all a smokescreen um, to get other teams to think that they were going to take Jabari Smith, which was widely reported by people around the league, um, specifically by guys like uh, Woj and Shams were saying that the draft order was pretty much set and the Vegas odds were reflective of that. Um, <laughs> until the very last minute when uh, I think the night before, Paolo was originally something like plus over a 1,000, which is a um, pretty long shot to go number one. And then all of a sudden, he dropped down to almost even odds. But the weirdest thing is that it shot back up to uh, Jabari Smith's favor. Um, but those uh, odds that switched up ended up being correct. I mean, that's one of the things that's pretty crazy about um, odds in Vegas. And this is something that's kind of been recent around sports but they tell you a lot about uh what teams are thinking uh you can't always trust them when you're trying to project how good a team's going to be because that's super variable you're never really going to know but as far as transactions go um they have good sources they've gotten probably more information than you think they do uh so whoever (laughs) shifted those odds down clearly knew what they were what they were doing i don't know if it went back because something where there was a lot of money being put on uh palo so they wanted to I have no idea what happened, but regardless, um, I can't really remember anything like this. Um, the closest thing I could relate it to as far as just like uncertainty with the number one pick is probably 2013 when the Cavs took Anthony Bennett, which turned out to clearly be a disaster. Um, but that was a little different just because there was no clear number one pick. Um, I, that I can't even remember who most people were thinking, but I know Bennett was pretty much a surprise for most people. I think Nerlens Noel probably would have been number one if he hadn't gotten hurt, but I think he ended up falling to like number six or something. Clearly he didn't turn out to be too much. Um, there were some whispers of Ben McLemore, I think was uh, rumored to be going pretty high. He fell to seven as well, I think. But uh, Oladipo was another name who ended up going number two. He probably would have been a, a fair number one pick, and I know he injuries have slowed him down. But overall, he's had a probably one of the better careers out of people in the lottery. Obviously, the prize of that draft was Giannis, but um, I we can't have revisionist history saying that Giannis should have went number one because if anyone had taken Giannis number one at the time, they might have gotten fired on the spot. <laughs> so. But back to this draft, Um, I obviously think it was the right decision. If you listen to the last pod, I was very high on Paolo. I think he's clearly the best player in the draft. Um, And I really like what the Magic are putting together. They've got a lot of really interesting pieces. Um, They almost have like too many decent players, um, which sounds weird because they're not very good. (laughs) Obviously, I don't anticipate them being good next year either. Um, but it's one of those weird things where they're going to have to like make decisions on who they want to move forward with. And um, I'm sure they would love for this season someone to take a big step. But just looking at the backcourt, I mean, Jalen Suggs did not have a very good year last year. I wasn't super high on him coming out of college. I thought he'd be a good NBA player, but more of a role guy. Uh, and he certainly didn't play like anything close to um, a player that looks like they're going to be a star last season. He really struggled, especially shooting-wise. Um, and then Cole Anthony who has shown some flashes, but I'm not sure he won't be best suited as like a first guy off the bench, third guard, sixth man type player. Um, he's a little inefficient and not um, the best at getting teammates involved. And then Markel Fultz, who obviously um, was out a large portion of last season, came back. They actually played um, some of their best basketball when he was out there. 
who knows what he's going to turn into uh, between the three of them. I'm sure they would love for at least one of them to kind of take lead and um, prove themselves to be the best, but we'll see. Um, I don't know which one of those they're going to uh, move forward with. I'm sure they have the highest hope for Suggs just because they did most recently use a pretty high pick on him, but we'll see. Um, on the wing, they don't have a ton of wing players. Um, Friends Wagner showed a lot of promise last year. He was a lot better than I expected he would be. I was not very high on him coming out of college, but clearly he looks like he's going to be a solid player. I don't think anyone thinks he's going to be some perennial all-star, top 10, top 20 guy, but I certainly think he could be a, a very good and useful player. Um, a starter on a, on a good team, maybe a, a third or fourth option on a um, contending team. Um, but who knows? He, he's, he's still young. Uh, he showed a lot more playmaking ability than I thought he had uh, last year. So we'll see. He's probably their best, most promising prospect uh, coming into the draft that they already had. So um, we'll, I'm sure he'll have a good second year as well. Uh, then Jonathan Isaacs, probably the biggest question mark here. I don't think he's played since before the bubble, uh, but he was really showing promise right before then, uh, particularly defensively. So I have no idea what he's going to be. I, I'm sure Magic fans have no idea either. Um, I'm sure they're not expecting anything out of him just because of uh, his injury history. And um, we'll see, though. And then as far as the big guys go, um, Wendell Carter Jr. had a really nice season last year for them. He showed some promise. He was pretty decent with the Bulls before they traded him, but he just hadn't stayed uh, healthy enough to sustain it. Um, but I really like his game. He can shoot threes. He's uh, pretty solid inside. He knows his role. He's a decent rebounder, pretty good rim protector, not a, not a bad passer for a big man either. Um, and I really like his fit next to Paolo as well, just because he's not going to be clogging the paint. Um, and we'll just give more room for Paolo to operate down there. And then who knows what's up with Mo Bamba. I've seen a lot of photoshopped uh, <laughs> pictures of Paolo wearing number five, which was uh, Mo Bamba's number. So it could be uh, not good for him as far as his Orlando Magic future, but who knows there. Uh, anyway, he showed some promise. I don't really think he's going to turn into too much. He's just a little bit too inconsistent. Um, and then one of the players that I called out last pod, um, Caleb Houston ended up going to the magic as well. I, I said he could be a good sleeper. I think he's going to turn into a nice three and D guys, a, a wing player that can guard multiple positions and knock down open shots. So I like that pick for them as well. They got him early second round. He went a little higher than I was anticipating. Um, but obviously I, I think it was a, the right pick at that, at that spot. So. Um, really like what the Magic are doing, and yeah, Paolo was the right pick in my opinion. Um, and so yeah, but moving on to other winners of the draft, um, I've got a few here. The first one being the Rockets. Um, I would have loved to see the Jalen Green Paolo duo. I think it would have been great. I think they both could have averaged twenty plus points next year and been a a really nice pairing uh, for the foreseeable future. I think. I'm not sure where I'm at with Jalen Green. I want to see how he does next year. I know he started really poorly last year and finished really strong, but I'm a little wary of when players finish a season really strong towards the end just because a lot of teams are not trying uh, really at all. I mean, look at the the Blazers were putting out basically like a G League roster. So, um, yeah, we'll see next year. But regardless, it would have been a nice duo. Though I will say Jabari is a very nice consolation prize. I think he's going to be a really solid player. Would not be surprised if he turned to an all-star. Um, I think he's still a good fit next to Green. Um, I think Green uh, is probably going to command uh, more shots as number one option. But Jabari, Jabari kind of fits in as that nice, like, not going to um, worry about how many shots he get. Just kind of fit in with the team and... I think that'll, that'll be good for the Rockets. I feel like if Paolo was there, they wouldn't have had too many of those personalities between Green, Paolo, uh, Kevin Porter Jr., etc. Um, but also, I really liked the Ty Ty Washington pick at 29. I think that could turn out to be a steal. Um, he was one of the guys I was very high on uh, for where he was projected to go. I think I didn't think he was going to end up at 29. I thought he was going to go mid-first uh, round in the teens or late teens, but... Um, so great pick on them being able to get him at 29 and they really do need a point guard. Um, we just saw John wall get, uh, or reach a buyout. He's likely signing with the Clippers. So you might touch on that later, but, um, 
really all they have is Kevin Porter Jr. And he's certainly not a true point guard by any means. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if they moved off him soon. I, I don't know where I'm really at with him. He's really talented. But again, I think he might be best suited for like a sixth man off the bench roll just with some instant offense and scoring. But we'll see there. Uh, and then on top of that, I thought Tari Eason was a nice get for them at 17. Um, I, I, did, I didn't know a ton about him um, at LSU, but after looking into his game some more, I like a lot of what he brings to the table. Um, could A really, really good defender, which is something they could use. Um, I think him and Jayshon Tate could be a, a nice uh, wing defensive duo moving forward. Next, we have the Pistons. Um Jaden Ivey was obviously not expected to be there at number five. Um, I I thought the only way he was going to end up with the Pistons is if they traded up to four. Um, So that was unexpected, but a a really nice surprise for them. Um, I think he's going to fit really well next to Cade. Um, It's kind of the perfect situation uh, because I, as I said on the last pod, I don't really view Ivey as a true point guard, but he's a little undersized potentially to be a a shooting guard. He's six, four, I believe. Um, but I, I really think him and Cade are a nice fit because Cade's got a lot of size, but he can handle most of that playmaking and uh, facilitating for the rest of the guys on the team. Um, and yeah, so I, that that's going to be a great duo. I, I think ultimately it's going to come down to whether Ivy can develop uh, a more consistent jump shot because if he is playing more off ball, which he likely will be doing a lot of because uh, you want the ball in Cade's hands moving forward if you're that franchise. He's going to have a lot of opportunities for catch-and-shoot threes um, as Cade drives in and kicks it out. So I think that his success is really going to fall on that. If he's going to be a low 30s three-point shooter, then uh, he could struggle in the NBA. But if he if he can get up at least to the 35 36%, I think he's going to be a really nice piece for them and fit great next to Cade. Um, secondly, I loved the uh, Jalen Duran uh, or Duran, sorry, excuse me, Jalen Duran edition. Um, I know that they were rumored to be a team that was in on DeAndre Ayton. I think that Duran, if we're talking bang for your buck, is probably a better asset to have. Um, Ayton is obviously the better player. And I think just given Duran's skill set, I don't think he'll ever be quite as good as Ayton uh, will be. Just offensively, he doesn't have the same kind of touch. He doesn't have the jump shot that Ayton does. Um and Duran's a good defender. I don't know how versatile he is guarding smaller players, but Aiton's proven to at least be pretty decent at that, one of the better big men in the league. However, if you're paying Aiton over $30 million versus Duran, who's probably going to be in the $6 million range based on where he got drafted, um, that's a great spot for them. They really didn't have to give up too much. They gave up the pick they got for uh, Jeremy Grant. And then they had to take on Kemba Walker's contract. So they have a ton of cap space. So the, the Kemba thing shouldn't really be an issue for them at all, to be honest. Uh, I, there was, they were saying that they're going to reach a buyout with him anyway. But he's only making $9, $10 million, So it, it, it shouldn't really affect anything. They've got the cap space to be able to eat that. Um, but I really like Duran as a fit with Cade and Ivy. Um, I like Sadiq Bey. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well last year. It was a little inefficient. But... I know he did have that one game with over 50 points, so you can see the potential there. I also think that he's just a better shooter than he showed last season. I think he was being relied on to create a little bit more than he's comfortable with, so took some not great shots, but between Ivy and uh, Cade, I think he's going to fit into a more fitting role for him just as more of a catch-and-shoot guy, so I think that percentage will go up. Um. Next, I really liked what the Pelicans did as well for a few reasons. Um, one being Dyson Daniels. I think that he um, is a really nice addition to what they've got going there. I think he brings a lot of uh, things that they could use, particularly playmaking. They've got a lot of good scores with uh, CJ, Zion, Ingram, um, some good defenders with uh, Herb Jones, uh, Jose Alvarado. But they probably needed a little bit more playmaking. They don't really have a true point guard on the roster. All the guys that kind of play point for them are Alvarado, who's really more of a defensive guy um, and catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Um, CJ, who's really played the two his whole career, and I think he can play a little point, but it's not not really his main uh, area of uh, expertise. He's more of a scorer. 
And then Devontae Graham, who's certainly not a true point guard. He can be a little sporadic with his shot selection um, and kind of fell out of the rotation a little bit last year once Alvarado started playing better. So Daniels is not a point guard, obviously. He's a, I think he's about 6'8". He's going to play more of a 3, um, maybe a, a 4 in smaller lineups. But um, I really like the playmaking that he does bring to the table. He's not a great shooter, um, but the fact that he does everything else really well, I love his feel for the game. I think he's going to be a good fit there. I'm not sure how much he's going to play right away, um, just because they're really deep now. I mean, they've got Graham, Alvarado, uh, McCollum, Herb Jones, Ingram, Zion, Jackson Hayes, Valanchunas. Um, I might even be missing someone. And then uh, EJ Liddell, uh, another reason why I liked what they did in the draft, he fell all the way to them in the second round um, with pick number 41. So I, I have no idea what happened with him. I don't know why he fell so far. Normally when stuff like that happens, you hear about um, maybe bad medicals. I know that happened with Malcolm Brogdon falling in the second round. Michael Porter Jr. fell into the late lottery after being a maybe top five pick. And then Bull Bull was invited to the green room and ended up going in the second round as well. So um, it's funny enough, too, those guys ended up being drafted by the Nuggets. So clearly <laughs> that's something that they're willing to take on. But I didn't hear anything like that. I'm just honestly pretty surprised as to why that happened. Um, but regardless, uh, great get for the Pelicans, especially at that value. I mean, I thought he was going to go late teens, early twenties, um, at worst late first. So I, I was high on him, um, as you heard on my last podcast. So uh, two good players, the Pelicans picked up just to add to their already very deep roster. Um, they've got a lot of all their picks as well as the, uh, Lakers picks as well moving forward. So they are a team to watch, um, if a star was to, get disgruntled or um, if they wanted to package maybe a three for one um, just to improve the top end of their team. Uh, next, I want to touch on the Sixers. I I know they didn't make a pick in the first round because they traded the 23rd overall pick for uh, D'Anthony Melton. Uh, I really liked that trade for them. Uh, I, I believe David Roddy went at 23. I thought that was a bit of a reach. I'm sure the Sixers wouldn't have taken them if they stayed at that pick. But regardless, I don't think anyone that they got there was going to give them um, as much as Melton can give them moving forward. Uh, Melton's been a really solid player uh, throughout his career. Um, and he's pretty much exactly what they need. I mean, his two areas of strength are defense and shooting, um, which the Sixers definitely could use more of both. Um, they've got a lot of guys who either can shoot well and can't play that much defense or um, play a lot of defense but can't shoot that well. Um, between Maxi, who's a liability on defense, Harden's not great on defense these days. Um, questionable if he ever really was that great. But And then uh, Thibault's great on D but really can't shoot at all. And then Danny Green, who is probably the best mix of both that they had, um, he's going to be out for the year after getting injured late in last season. Um, he was in this deal as well, just to make the salaries match. But I really like Melton. He, I think he can play with Harden or Maxi. Um, he can play on or off ball. He's got experience playing with uh, John ja Morant, um, as well as with back on the Suns. He played with Devin Booker as more of the main guard, so he can do a little of both. But um, yeah, in his in his time, the last two years, he shot thirty nine percent from three combined. So. He's not super efficient from the field, but he takes mostly uh, he takes more threes than he does twos, so that'll often happen. Um, but yeah, I think he's a really solid player. He's a good defender. He um, played well in Memphis, and I think it was a great pickup for the Sixers. Uh, and then the last winner I have is a combo of both the Warriors and Patrick Baldwin. Uh, this was one of the guys that I had as a big sleeper, and I was a huge fan of uh, coming into the draft. Uh, he ended up going higher than I thought. He was projected second round. He ended up sneaking into the first round. Um, I believe he went uh, 28th overall to the Warriors. Um, but I think this is just the perfect spot for him. Um, yeah, the, the Warriors, have, they did this a little last year um, with Kaminga. Obviously, Kaminga went top 10, so he was a lot more highly regarded. But both of them are, were kind of raw prospects. Um you could tell they had the talent, but they need to learn how to play a little better, just to how to fit into a system, um, not take bad shots, uh, focus on the little things. So this is just a great fit for both sides, I think. I think he's just going to be able to fit in, do all the little things, um, and not really have to worry about being that go-to scorer. So I don't know. I, I, I'm even more high on Baldwin now. Um, <laughs> the rich get richer, richer, as they say. So 
hopefully um, he can turn into a decent player for them as well. So now I want to touch on the losers. I've only got two, um, and I'm sure a lot of people could guess who they are. And even before the draft, I'm sure people <laughs> probably would have been able to guess who probably will be the losers. Um, two familiar faces here, but the first one being the Kings. Um, this was just the most Kings pick ever. They are just constantly doing stuff like this. Um, <laughs> it's like when you think they've got um, too many in one position, they might take that anyway. Or when there's a clear, more talented player on the board, they just that's when they decide to go for fit. So it's it's really just mind-boggling uh, <laughs> their strategy in recent years. And I, I say in recent years, but <laughs> I mean it's been like two decades now. Um, th where they've been just making head-scratching moves. So um, this is in reference to taking Keegan Murray when Jaden Ivey was still on the board. I totally understand if they didn't want to take Ivey. I know that they just took Halliburton. I know they flipped him for Sabonis, but um, they've got De'Aaron Fox, and then they have uh, Davion Mitchell as well. So they've taken a lot of guards recently. I understand if there was hesitancy on that front, but at the end of the day, that that's just bad asset management. Um there were a lot of teams that wanted Ivy and probably would have given up a decent amount for them or for him. I don't know exactly what those deals and offers looked like, but I, I have to imagine that um, they could have probably traded back and still gotten Murray and picked up at least one other asset. Um, maybe they were worried about the, I don't think the Pistons are rumored to be trying to move up one spot. Maybe they were worried the Pistons were just going to take Murray. Um, but still, I, I don't know. I mean, I know the Pacers were rumored to want to uh, move up to four and take Ivy. Um, Murray may still have been there. Maybe he wouldn't, so maybe that was their thought process. But all I know is that I, I was not high on Murray. I picked him to be a bust, and I only feel better about uh, him being a bust <laughs> today than I did before the draft um, just because that's <laughs> – situation matters a lot. Um and that's just not a good situation for really anybody, um, whether it be a coach, a player, front office, whatever. Uh, the next loser I have is the Knicks, as I'm sure many of you could have guessed that as well. I really did not understand this trade for them at all. Um, so they come in with the 11th pick. They make two trades, but in total, what they sent out is the 11th pick, Kemba Walker, and four second-round picks. And what they get back is a lottery-protected Wizards pick, which probably won't convey, convey very soon. I don't think the Wizards will be making the playoffs in the next few years. A lottery-protected Pistons pick, which probably will not be conveying soon either, um, as they probably won't be making the playoffs soon, um, but maybe sooner than you think. We'll see. Um, and then a Bucks first-round pick, which is pretty much guaranteed to be a late-round pick as long as they have Giannis on the team. So um, all of these picks, if they don't, there's a certain level of protection each year. If they don't end up conveying, they become two second round picks. Um, and so that, that could be the case for two of them. Um, the one that they initially got a nuggets pick from the thunder um, that they ended up rerouting to the um, Pistons for that bucks pick. The nuggets pick was lottery protected too, but they're obviously um, in a good spot to make the playoffs. So that probably would have conveyed next year. I say all this to say that not all picks are created equally. None of them, not all of them, should be valued the same. Um, and although they did get three first-round picks for one first-round pick, um, none of them are going to be as high as that first-round pick. It's just guaranteed. I mean, they're lottery protected, and and the Bucks ones is just going to be late. So um, I don't really think that any of these picks are that valuable. They're going to be either late second round picks or they're going to turn into second rounders. Um, and if even one of them turns into the two seconds, it's just going to be a huge fail um, from an asset management perspective. Uh, additionally, Kemba, I mean, they got off his deal, but for what really? Um, <laughs> so they can try to sign Jalen Brunson to an offer sheet. Um, but first of all, I like Brunson. Um, I know he was making uh, almost nothing this season. So I really liked him because <laughs> uh, for what you were getting, it was great value. But I don't really like him that much if he's going to be making $25 million. Um, I think he's a really a nice player. I think he can be a starter on a good team, as you saw last year. 
Um, the Mavs were a good team, but they've got a real ceiling if he's your second or third best player, which is what he was on the Mavs um, and what he would be on the Knicks as well. Um, and with that uh, salary number, there's not going to be a ton of space to add a ton of other guys. I mean, they've already got Randall on the books for 25, uh, around 25 million. That's 50 million just with those two players for two players that really should not be um, top two options on a team, and they're your, they are your top two options. So, um, additionally, um, even if they do sign Brunson, I don't think they're going to be anywhere close to the playoffs um, unless they make some other major changes. But I just don't think that opportunity is really going to be out there for them. And lastly, on this point, I just am not sure that the Mavericks aren't just going to re-sign him. Um, they can sign him outright, just re-sign him, or they can match a deal that the Knicks um, sign him if he does do, go the offer sheet route. But regardless, unless the Mavs have a clear way to upgrade, I don't really see why they wouldn't match any deal for him. Just because at the very least, you're retaining an asset that you could flip later. Um, he'd probably be one of their most desirable trade pieces if they did want to upgrade later just i know a lot of guys on their roster are either expiring contracts or um just kind of middling role players so he'd be the most valuable player that they have outside of probably luca just because christian wood is on an expiring deal so he's it's not like you're gonna get a long-term uh, commitment from him until next year so yeah i don't know i i think the mavs will re-sign him i don't see why they wouldn't but for, and yeah and that's why i think the knicks not only um was their trade bad but the reasoning for the trade was also bad so <laughs> um i don't really know what their plan is if i were them i would probably look to just offload randall and kind of reset go through um, a rebuild They've done they did a, that a little bit a few years back, but Porzingis was pretty playing well for them, so they were never able to get too high in the lottery. Um, I think R.J. Barrett was the highest pick they had at number three, but the lottery hasn't been too kind to them. But regardless, um, they do have some decent pieces. I do like Obi Toppin. I think he could turn to a decent player. Um, Emmanuel quickly shown some flashes, but again, I think he's maybe more suited for a third guard. But I don't know. I think they should commit to the youth movement moving forward and um, look to get off that Randall deal, which I did not think was good at the time. And it has aged extremely poorly um, even since then. So, so next I want to talk about Brooklyn um, and all the drama surrounding them. This segment was originally going to be very different, uh, but there was the news coming out today that Kyrie Irving unexpectedly decided to opt into his deal. Um, even though he had two more days to decide, I believe, um, the quote from Kyrie after doing so was, quote, normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. I've made my decision to opt in. See you in the fall. Um, <laughs> this is a classic Kyrie. I have no idea what he's trying to insinuate there, um, that he's... <laughs> he dares to be different um, in leading us into tomorrow. I don't know who he's leading into tomorrow. I don't really know <laughs> what he's thinking most of the time, as um, a lot of us don't. Uh, clearly, by this move, a lot of us don't. Um, a lot of people thought he was probably going to opt out. Um, there was talks of him potentially taking the mid-level exception with the Lakers, um, and using that as his leverage to get the Nets to do a sign-and-trade. But um, there were reports earlier today that um, from Woj that there was nobody who was interested in the sign-and-trade except for the Lakers. And as we all know, uh, the Lakers don't have shit to tra trade with anyone. Um, nobody wants Russell Westbrook um, making over $45 million a year. Um, they're too distant draft picks. Could be semi-enticing, but... Uh, you'd probably want those picks just for Kyrie, and you'd probably want those picks just for taking Russ. Um, so the combination of taking Russ plus having to give up Kyrie, um, those picks probably are not enough. Though they could prove to be valuable down the road um, if LeBron was to leave or retire, um, especially with Anthony Davis being a huge injury risk every season and the flakiness of Kyrie. So, yeah, he did opt in. Um 
a lot of people are assuming this means he's going to go back to the Nets. Um, I wouldn't totally rule out the idea of them trading uh, him still. From what I've heard, that is still a possibility, though. Um, I think the assumption is that he's probably going to stay, um, which is going to have a big ripple effect. There were a lot, a lot of rumors about Kevin Durant um, probably wanting out if Kyrie was to leave, which I can't imagine that he would want to stay there. Um, to play with Ben Simmons and role players, um, especially when they don't have any of their picks, um, except for the swaps, obviously, but they're going to get the um, lesser pick between them and Houston over the next few years, um, every other year, and then every other year they're going to have to give all their picks to Houston. So if Kevin Durant did decide to stay um, with Kyrie leaving, I think that he would basically be admitting that he's cool with not winning anymore for the rest of his career. I mean, he's 34 years old. He's got four years left on his deal. So um, if he's not going to ask out now, then um, he probably wouldn't. I mean, maybe in the last year of his deal, he's going to be 38. Who knows how good he's going to be at that point. Um, But with that being said, I was going to talk through some of the top landing spots for KD, but um, I don't know if that's going to be as relevant now. I'm going to more focus on just the um, what – Kyrie opting in probably means, which means he's probably staying with the Nets, both him and KD. Um, And so the Lakers probably have to look elsewhere. Um, I don't really know what their plan is for Russ. I do wonder if um, with this news, LeBron might consider um, wanting a trade. I know some people have talked about that. We haven't really heard any reports that that he himself has made any indication of that, though. He only has one year left on his deal, um, so maybe he'll just play it out. But each year that he plays is just value. It, he doesn't have that much time left, so um, he can't take any year for granted. If he has another bad losing season with the Lakers, then I'm sure he might have some regrets just for not trying to get out sooner. Um, and I'm not really even sure how much they'd be able to get back. I mean, I know he's LeBron James, don't get me wrong, but he's 37 years old on an expiring contract. Um, I'm not really sure what teams would be willing to give, um, unless you th- were pretty desperate and thought you were really close to winning a, a championship. But if you're that close, you probably wouldn't need someone as um, good or at the caliber of LeBron. You could probably just make tweaks elsewhere. But going back to the Nets, um, if they do decide to run it back with just Kyrie, KD, Simmons, um, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Claxton, other role players, I would be interest, interested to see what that looks like. Um, they were pretty much at the top of the East before Kevin Durant got injured the first time, and that was without Kyrie. I know they did have Harden then, um, and they don't have Harden now, and Harden... I don't know. I would have said Harden was better than Kyrie at the start of last year, pretty sizably, but these days, I don't really know. Um, Harden's really inconsistent. Kyrie's pretty inconsistent, too. Um, As we saw just in the playoffs, he had one phenomenal game in Game 1 and then played pretty terribly against the Celtics the rest of the way. So um, I think he's a mixed bag a little bit as well. At his best, he looks totally unguardable and unstoppable, but um, he can definitely be neutralized as um, a lot of smaller guards um, in the past have been as well. But I do think Simmons feels like a good fit next to them too. I would be really interested to see them do some small ball lineups with Simmons at center, um, kind of in a Draymond Green role. I think he could be a glorified Draymond Green. I mean, he's better. At his peak, he's been better than Draymond. Um, just he's got more defensive versatility guarding in the perimeter. And then... He's a better passer and playmaker, probably. Um, I know Draymond is very good there as well, but uh, regardless, I would like to see that. They've got a lot of shooters as well. If they put out a lineup of like Kyrie, Curry, Harris, Durant, and Simmons, I think that would be really nice offensively. Um, I wonder how they'd be able to hold up on defense. I do think they need to add a, a few more wing players that can defend neither Harris nor Curry, um, or Kyrie for that matter, are very good defenders. Um, Kyrie can get by because he's still got an offense, but Curry's been a huge liability in the playoffs in the past, and Harris uh, a little bit as well, especially when his shot's not falling. Um, but we'll see. Um, like I said, I to- wouldn't be totally shocked if Kyrie still did want a trade or if the Nets were pursuing a trade. Uh, if Kyrie's stance doesn't change that he wants a long-term deal and the Nets' stance doesn't change that they're not going to give it to him, 
it would make sense from a Nets perspective that they might want to get some value for him while they can. Um, but obviously, as we know, that might cost them Durant, so they might just take their chances and move forward. That's probably what I would do if I were the Nets, um, just given their tr- draft pick situation um, and the likelihood that Durant might want out as well. Um, so next I want to move to uh, DeAndre Ayton. Um, the addition of Jalen Duran has been reported to make the Pistons a lot less likely to sign Aiton. Um, they do have the max cap space to just sign him outright, but there's been talks of them potentially shifting that attention over to Miles Bridges instead, um, who's also a restricted free agent. I've seen reports that the Hornets do not want to give him a max deal, so I do think that if he were to sign a max with the Pistons, that the Hornets would probably just let him walk instead of matching it. Um, with Aiton, I think that the Suns would probably, what I've heard is that they would match any deal if they signed a offer sheet outright. That's why teams should be incentivized to work with the Suns on a sign and trade rather than just sign him outright because the Suns are pretty adamant that they're not going to lose him for nothing. Um, so if the Pistons were to sign him, the Suns would just match it and then it'd be just a waste of everyone's time. So if they really do want him, it's likely going to be a sign and trade, even though they do have the space for it. But I've seen reports that they might just use the cap space to fill out the roster with some veterans. Um, And honestly, depending on what the Pistons um, roster looks like and how they fill it out, I do think they have a chance to sneak into the play-in potentially um, if Ivy turns out to be solid and Cade takes a big leap. But um, we'll see. The Pistons still are a possibility for Aiton, but um, I don't really know why they would trade um, multiple first-round picks. Or I guess it was only one first-round pick, but... Well, I don't know why they would trade up first to get Jalen Duran um, if they were still interested in Aiden. So I kind of doubt that happens at this point. There were some rumors about him with the Hawks, um, <laughs> but all of those reports came out and said that they'd like him, but not at the max. So they'd want to do less than the max, which, as we all know, is pretty much the only reason the Suns haven't re-signed him yet. So I don't see the Hawks as a real viable option. Um, if he was going to take less than the max, he probably would just have done it with the Suns. Um, and keep in mind that less than the max with Phoenix is still more than less than the max with any other team because they can offer him more money in a fifth year um, just because they have his bird rights. Um, I think probably the two most po- uh, possible teams outside the Suns are the Pacers and Spurs. I did hear a lot of Pacers rumors before. It would make sense if they're ready to move off Miles Turner just because he would be an enticing option that the Suns could take back. Um, he's got a little bit more floor spacing than Aiton does, but a little less inside game. But who knows? Maybe Chris Paul could help unlock some of that um, that we haven't really seen out of Miles Turner. He's a a great rim protector, uh, more so um, than Aiton as far as shot blocking goes, but maybe not as versatile guarding out on the perimeter. The thing with Turner is... I don't really know how he'd play in a playoff setting because we haven't really seen it. Um, we've seen it with a lot of big guys, Aiton in particular. But Turner, I, I don't know if he would be one of those guys that gets played off the court or if he'd be able to hold his own. So um, I think he's an interesting piece for Phoenix. I think if they do let Aiton walk, he's probably the best center replacement that they're going to get unless they decide to just um, go with a low-cost uh, rim-running guy and kind of platoon it. But... Um, I think that'd be a good get for them, but we'll see on that front. And then lastly, the Spurs. I think that this seemed like the most likely destination for a while uh, just because they've got some some pieces that might intrigue the Suns. I've seen um, offers uh, with Devin Vassell and um, Jacob Pirtle. I don't think that's a great offer uh, return for Phoenix. Maybe the Spurs put a pick in there, but I, they're... They're kind of might be thinking about tanking soon, so I think they might be reluctant to put a pick. Maybe they could put protection on it. So I don't know. There's been rumors that the Spurs might um, want to tank this year. We've seen DeJounte Murray rumors, which I'll get into shortly. But if that's the case, I don't really know why they'd want to sign Aiton and why they'd want to trade picks, for example. So I don't know. I think it's more and more um, likely than it was before that Aiton might just return to the Suns. Um, 
if the market's not there for him, if the Pistons are like, look, we got our center of the future, we don't necessarily need you, the Hawks are like, we don't want to give you the max, the Spurs are like, we we like you, but we're kind of set on tanking next year for the um, top prospect. It's Wembayama, I think it is, but everyone's been raving about him recently. So Spurs might be uh, looking to blow it up just so they have a shot at that sweepstakes. And then the Pacers, I mean, maybe they're still interested, but I don't know. Um, they've got a lot of veterans. They're already looking to trade, so I, they're kind of the wild card for me. But regardless, I think there's still a chance that the Suns just keep him and run it back. Um, we'll see if the relationship is salvageable, but certainly I think that Phoenix could uh, re-sign him, and they still got a lot of really tradable contracts to upgrade the roster elsewhere. Um, I believe Crowder, Shamit, Saric, um, and, and Campaign are all making somewhere in the seven to ten million range, which is all really tradable contracts. And um, I know that Campaign's is uh, not guaranteed, so his is uh, essentially acting as a expiring contract. I know that Saric ha- is a expiring contract, and Crowder is an expiring contract. So. I've, and Shamit has one more after this year, I believe, at least guaranteed. So a lot of tradable contracts. They have all their picks, so I'm, I'm sure they could make an upgrade on the wing or something if they wanted to, even with keeping Aiden. Um, but going back to the Hawks a little bit, I know I talked about um, how uh, they might be trading for Murray and how the Spurs might be blowing it up. There's been rumors today that this is increasingly likely to happen. Um initially it was being discussed as John Collins for DeJounte Murray. But I think what I've heard recently is that the Hawks would keep Collins. Um, And this is just more and more um, leading into the point that the Spurs might just really want to blow it up and tank. Um, I I don't know if it's because the Hawks want to keep Collins. I don't think that's why (laughs) we've heard them shopping him around a ton over the years, but especially this off season. And there's been reports that he's just, he's not going to play for them again, like pretty much regardless. And so maybe the Spurs don't want him because they don't want, they want to be bad. Um, I, so I don't know. The package I've seen is Gallinari and a bunch of picks, um, which would help the Hawks. Um, Gallo is an expiring contract and he's getting old and he's kind of overpaid anyway. But I don't know. I, I personally think this is kind of a weird move. I do think it's smart for the Hawks to try to consolidate players and picks to get a um, an upgrade somewhere. But I don't know if this is the right fit. I, I just don't like Murray and Trey's games together that much just because Murray's is a really good player, but his by far biggest weakness is shooting. He's okay in the mid-range, and he's gotten better from three, but it is certainly not a strong suit. Um by any means um you can see what he shot this year um from three this season he was 32.7 percent for his career is 33 percent um so he's pretty consistently um he's only taken high volume over the past two seasons really and he's right at 32 percent um over the last two years so he's he's a liability um shooting wise He's a really good defender, and I'm sure that's the logic behind what the Hawks are thinking. Trey is not a good defender. If we put Murray in the backcourt, he can um, help cover up some of that. I know Murray's got a lot of size for a guard as well. Um, he's 6'4", but he's really long. Um, so we could probably play the two um, just size-wise, positioning-wise. But I don't know if his game is super conducive to that just because of how not great of a shooter he is. Um, but then... The other option is you make him the main guard and put Trey as the off guard, but I just think that that is you're not going to get the most out of Trey Young. He is best with the ball in his hands. He's one of the best playmakers in the league for others. I'd I'd say really the only guys rivaling him are probably um, LeBron and Chris Paul. I'd put him in the top three with those two just as far as his passing ability and um, manipulating the defense, facilitating for others, finding the open guy. So... I, I don't really understand that uh, move either, if that's how they're going to play it. So, I don't know. I also think that even, l- let's say it works out well, um, they mesh pretty well. Uh, they're able to figure it, on, figure it out on offense. It improves their defense. Their ceiling still is really going to only be second round at best, um, which is kind of where they're at now. I mean, I know they made the conference finals two years ago. I think that was a weird year. 
it, the Sixers just totally choked. Uh, <laughs> I kind of put it more on them than I would on the Hawks um, making a run, but whatever. Regardless, they're not going to beat the Celtics. Probably they're not beating the Bucks. Um, they probably wouldn't beat the Heat. The Sixers, I think it would be may, be hard pressed to beat them as well. I know they already did, but their roster is a little better now. Um, and then who knows? Maybe the Bulls make a move for Gobert. They'd be a tough out. Um, there's just a lot of teams that I don't think the Hawks would at least be the favorite against. Uh, a team like the Sixers is not going to be favorited. Maybe they could beat them, but I don't think it's going to be um, a team that a lot of people expect them to beat. So I really think that they could still just be a first-round exit team. Maybe they might get a five-seed. If they're lucky, a three-seed, something like that, um, if other teams take the regular season less seriously. Uh, but I don't know. I just don't see them as a team that's going to um, contend anytime soon if they add Murray. Um, I still think they would need another guy. Their lineup is interesting, but if they're going to play Capella and Murray in the same lineup, that's not going to be a lot of shooting. Um and like I said, I'm not sure how Murray fits into that offense. So I don't know. I, I I think the Hawks have the right idea just in terms of trying to use their guys to upgrade. But I'm not sure it's actually something that's um, a good fit for them. Uh, so next, moving into the Bradley Beal um, outlook for his free agency. All indications seem to be him re-signing for the Supermax with the Wizards. I think this would be a massive mistake for them. Um, I think that he is not at all um, worth that. Uh, we see teams get in these tough situations where they kind of feel like they have to pay the guy. He's been with the team his whole career. Um, and he played some of his best basketball uh, two years ago, three years ago. He's a three-time All-Star. Um, he's made uh, one All-NBA team, though it was only 13. But he really did not have a good year last year. He's been a total, total mess on defense over the past few years. Um, just one of the worst defenders in the league. Uh, his scoring, while it was still at 23 points a game, it was down eight points overall. That's a that's a pretty huge uh, drop-off. He shot 30% from three last year, which is just really not good. And it's interesting because he's got a, a rep as being a really good shooter. But um, over the last four seasons, which is a pretty big sample size, um, he shot below 35% from three. Um, so he really hasn't shot the ball well for f four years now. He's been a below average three-point shooter, uh, which is a little uh, shocking considering early in his career – um, he was really good. Um, I mean, his first his first five years in the league, he was 39%, 40%, 41%, 39%, 40%. So he was a 40% shooter. Um, and then once he kind of expanded his role um, and became the lead guy in the team, once John Wall kind of fell off a cliff um, or <laughs> fell in his kitchen um, is what actually happened. But, um, yeah, I think – he just loses a level of efficiency when he's your main guy and he's got the ball in his hands. Um, when he's a, a complimentary player, like he was earlier in his career, he can be a great shooter, a great scorer. Um, and a, he was a, mostly second option for that team, but um, that team was obviously, they never made it out of the second round and the Wizards are, um, they were never really true contenders back then. But I say all that to say, um, ever since he became the lead guy, his his shooting efficiency has gone down. His field goal percentage has stayed about the same. He's taking more shots inside. Um, but his three-point efficiency has gone down. His defense has gotten significantly worse. He actually used to be a pretty decent defender. Um, and the Wizards have lost a lot more games than they did earlier in his career. So I say all that to say that the higher option he is on your team, the more your team loses, the worse he is defensively, and the less consistent he is shooting the ball from three. So I honestly think he is at best a number two. I think he's a number two on a, on a playoff team, but I, I don't even think he's really a number two on a championship team. I think he's got to be your number three at this point. Um, he's still relatively young. He actually turns 29 tomorrow. Um, so he, yeah, he's getting, 
the point is this this max contract is going to take him well into his 30s when he's already showed a little bit of decline last season he's shown that he can't be the main guy on a team um and he's just going to lead you to mediocrity um if he's your lead guy so that's why i think the wizards should really look to um do a sign and trade. I don't think there's a lot of teams that have the cap space to sign him that he'd be interested in or they'd be interested in because he probably wants to play for a winner. Um, and most of the teams that have cap space are not good teams. So I think Washington would be smart to try and just get assets for him. Even if you're getting 50 cents on the dollar, um, I think it'd be worth it. I And this might even sound crazy. I even think I would rather them just let him walk than re-sign him. Um, I think there's absolutely a scenario where he just signs with them so he can get them super max and then ask for, ask out um, very shortly after. And maybe that's what the Wizards want to do, sign him and then um, trade him right after so they can get the assets. But I think as soon as he inks that deal, it's, his value is going to drop just because it's going to be so expensive. I mean, he's going to be making up to $50 million into his 30s. And... Yeah, you just can't pay your second or third best. I mean, maybe second. You can't pay your third best player $50 million if you seriously want to um, expect to put a competitive team together just because you're not going to have any room um, on the cap sheet. And then if he's your first or second best player, um, then your team's just not going to be very good. So I don't know. I think the Wizards really need to consider not re-signing him or doing a sign-and-trade I think is probably their best option. Um, I mean, the Wizards are probably the the franchise that you'd least want to be right now because they're just not bad enough to uh, <laughs> get a high pick and they're not good enough to make the playoffs except for maybe they could sneak in as a 7 or 8 seed like they did um, two years ago. Um, but they're just going to lose. Um, they haven't won 50 games um, since, <laughs> sorry, since 1979 was the last time they won 50 games. Which is pretty just absurd. Um, yeah, I mean they have they've made it out of the first round one, two, three, four times since nineteen eighty three. So they've won four playoff series since nineteen eighty three. Um, they've just been perennial, perennially mediocre. Um, they've got some decent guys. I think. I mean, I think a lot of teams would like to have Kuzma on their team. Um, KCP could be valuable to a veteran. Um, I did like the Kristaps Porzingis trade actually because I thought they got good value for him. Um, I he's still only 26 years old and he can score and um, shoot the ball. He's a um, pretty good shot blocker as well. So we'll see. Um, and then they've got some okay like eh, young guys. Uh, <laughs> um, Denny Avdia. Um, Corey Kispert played a little better as the second half of the season went on. Thomas Bryan has shown some flashes, but I don't know. Overall, the Wizards, I think they're um, not a franchise you'd want to be. You could argue they've got the worst outlook of the next five years just because even bad teams like the Magic, the Thunder, the Pistons, they've just got really young, promising guys that the Wizards don't have. Um, I don't even know which player would have the most value from a trading perspective when you take contracts into account on the Wizards. Um, aside from Buell, probably Kuzma, um, but even him, I, I don't know. Wouldn't want to be the Wizards. I would urge them to not re-sign Beal, but um, I do think they probably will end up re-signing Beal, but we'll see. So next I want to talk uh, about a few free agents that I think are underrated. I think this is an interesting class. Um, there's some big names at the top, but I think a lot of them are going to end up re-signing I think it's likely Harden stays in Philadelphia. Um, I think Beal is going to stay in Washington. I think Levine's probably going to stay in Chicago. I know there were some rumors of him leaving at first, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, then there's a pretty big drop-off after those guys. Uh, we did just see John Wall got, get bought out, um, and he does intend to sign with the Clippers. I believe that that can be announced because he doesn't have to wait for the normal free agency period because he was bought out. So just like you would um, in season, if you got bought out, um, you could sign right away. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that's why um, it, it can be announced while and not be tampering um, like it would be for a lot of the other guys. Um, but yeah, I think John Wall is going to be a great pickup for the Clippers. He's 
that was the team that I expected him to go to, and I think it's the best fit as well. The Clippers have been a really solid team over the last few years. We've seen them not be able to get over the hump, although they have had some injuries with Kawhi um, Leonard specifically. But I think that their biggest weakness over the past few years has just been a, a true point guard, facilitator, ball handler, playmaker. The closest thing we've seen to that is Reggie Jackson. Uh, and he certainly has uh, revitalized his career a little bit in L.A., but we know that that's not really his game. He's more score first. Uh, he's probably best suited for uh, third guard off the bench like he was before he came to the Clippers and really like he was when he first got to the Clippers. Um, I don't really remember. I, I forget who they were starting before him, but he wasn't initially the starter when he signed there. Um. With that being said, I think John Wall is going to be a really good addition. He's uh, going to be 32 soon. Uh, we haven't really seen him play in a few years. I think uh, he played a little bit two years ago, um, but not at all last season. Um, yeah, he's played 40 games in the past three seasons combined. And in the past, what is this, uh, five seasons, he's played 113 games. So... <laughs> not many uh we've seen him be pretty decent though uh when he played last year when he played for Houston, he still was putting up 21 um points per game and seven assists uh his he was really inefficient 40 percent from the field 32 percent from three but i think this is a good situation for him where I, in houston after Harden left he felt like it was his team he had to be the guy um go out and get 20 every night that's just not going to be his role in the clippers I wouldn't be surprised if he's averaging more along the lines of like 12 points a game, eight assists, something like that. But I think that's all they need. That would be perfect. Um, he's obviously not much of a shooter. I don't think that he's going to be very good defensively at this point in his career, but uh, it's not like Reggie Jackson's a lockdown guy by any means anyway. And they've got so many good wing defenders that I'm not sure that it's going to be too much of an issue between Paul George, Kawhi, Covington, um, Batum, if they re-sign him, um, Marcus Morris. They've just got a lot of bodies to throw at guys um, that I'm sure they'll, they'll be able to hide wall if they absolutely need to on, on defense. But just a few other guys I do like um, in free agency that I think are probably going to not make a ton. Uh, Joe Ingles is one. He turns 35 soon. I know he's coming off an energy or sorry, an injury. Um, and I don't know if that's going to decline his play at all, but I would imagine, I know he was making uh, over $10 million for sure with the the Jazz before uh, and then Portland to finish the season, even though he didn't actually play any games for them. Uh, but I, I really think if he can, if you can get him for like a, a minimum deal, I think that's going to be a steal. He is a very underrated playmaker, um, was really playing some point guard for the Jazz at, at points when um, Conley was out for them last year, I believe. Uh, they had Mitchell still playing the two, and they were starting Ingles at, at the point guard position. So he's a really good playmaker uh, for a, a wing. He's got good size. He's a great shooter. I think he led the league in three-point shooting last year percentage-wise. So I think any team would love to have him, particularly as a as a bench guy. Um, I know if, if I would love my favorite team to have him on uh, their team as well. Another guy is Ricky Rubio. Uh, Rubio has been an interest. He's had an interesting career because he was always like a below average starter. Like he was decent and you'd say, Oh no, he's average. But then you actually could look at the league and probably could name 20 point guards better than him. Um, he's never been a good shooter. Um, he's been a so, so offensive player scoring wise. Um, but he's always been very good running an offense and he's held up decently on defense um it's certainly not a strong suit but he's, he's gotten better than he he was when he first came into the league but he's kind of reached a point of his career where he's more suited for a backup role so he's turning 32 soon he was making around 17 million the past few seasons after signing a three-year deal with phoenix um back in 2019 but uh as a backup i think he is just the perfect backup um He's going to come in and run the second unit really well. We saw this last year for Cleveland. Uh, he kind of had a renaissance with them. He was originally just kind of being tossed around. But um, I know he was with the T-Wolves and did not have a very good year with them, but they weren't very good overall. Their bench sucked. Uh, they weren't winning a lot of games. 
He got flipped to Cleveland in a draft day trade. It looked kind of like a weird trade considering Cleveland already had Sexton and Garland. But then with Sexton getting hurt, Rubio played a, a huge part uh, of their early success last season. Um, and he, I mean, he won them some games for sure. So he's another guy I would look out for. He's certainly not going to be at that 17 million mark he's, he was making. I would imagine he will probably get um, a team's mid-level exception, which um, I believe is around nine and a half million for non-taxpayers and six and a half for taxpayers. So um, we'll see if he's willing to take the cut um, to play for a, a better team. But another guy that I think could really help out a contender. Then we've got TJ Warren. So this is a guy who has not played since the bubble. Um, <laughs> there were talks of him for bubble MVP. I think he ended up making first team, but did not win it because um, Damian Lillard had such a crazy run. He didn't play at all last season. He only played four games. Um, okay, excuse me. He did play post-bubble, but it was only four games in 2021. So he got injured almost right away. Um, he has had a interesting career. He's never really played on a good team before. He was on the Suns when they were really bad for a while. Um, he was scoring decent amount, 20 a game, 18 a game. Um, then got to the Pacers and had a really good year for them. He averaged 20 a game and he really improved three point shooting wise. When he first came in the league, he was, um, in the twenties for three of his first four seasons, but his last two seasons, uh, one with the Suns and one with the Pacers. He was at 43% and 40%. So he's improved as a shooter. He's above 50% as a uh, from the field for his career. So he's been efficient overall. Good free throw shooter. Um, always been able to score. He's not going to really give you anything from a playmaking perspective. He's an average defender at best. Um, coming off a foot injury, we'll see. He might turn into a pretty bad defender. But I think he is really well suited for a bench role as well. Um, that's kind of the theme with a lot of these guys I'm calling out of just players that have predominantly been starters but are reaching the point of the career where they might shift over to bench role specifically for a contender if they're going to take less money. I wouldn't be surprised if Warren did like a one-year deal just to kind of approve it deal because um, he, he is only – he's 28. Um, so he, he still hypothetically should be right about in his prime. We'll see how he looks after his injury. But like I said, if he did a – one-year deal, um, that could make some sense uh, as he looks to just get um, up to speed and back in the flow of things. But I think he's a, a guy that could really help out as a sixth man on a good team, a contender, um, moving forward as well. So another guy, kind of similar, Colin Sexton. He's probably the most interesting free agent that we have just because... <sighs> It, it could be similar to Warren. It could be kind of a prove-it deal. I know he's coming off an injury as well. He has played really well, and he's still really young. Um, he's still only – wow, he's only 23 years old. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe he won't – maybe he'll get more than I'm um, giving him credit for. But, I mean, two years ago, he was 24 points per game on 48% and 37% from three. He's 38% from three for his career. Um, I, I think he wasn't – Initially supposed to come in as a great shooter, but he has shot the ball well in his career. Um, he's, he's been a really good free throw shooter, um, kind of instant offense. He's got really no playmaking ability whatsoever, particularly for a point guard that is um, not a strong suit for him. He's 3.3 assists per game for his career, but he's a 20-point scorer um, for his career. But we have not seen him do it on a winning team. Last year, the Cavaliers finally broke out um, and had a, a good season. Would have made the playoffs probably if not for injuries um, or for the play-in. But he only played 11 uh, games. He had a career low in minutes as well, career low in points, um, career low from the three-point line. But it's hard to judge percentages in such a small sample size. So I don't really know what kind of deal he's going to get. Um he could take the one-year deal, like a one-year $15 million or something like that to kind of prove it, like similarly to Warren. But he is really young, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a team that takes a chance on him and just says, fuck it, we'll give him a four-year, like $80 million deal or something. So I have no idea um, what his, val his value will be or what his market is. Though I will say I think he's probably going to get less than um, he would have if he hadn't gotten hurt. I think he's a really good piece. I do think he might be best suited for a six-man role as well. I don't think he can be your lead guy just because of his lack of playmaking. His defense is also not good. 
Um, but he's only six one, so he's he he's undersized for a shooting guard, and especially defensively, he's going to be eaten alive and definitely um, hunted out on that end. So, but I do like him um, just because his value is probably a little lower than it would have been um, if he hadn't gotten hurt. And then two more guys. I'm going to clump these two together a little bit. Otto Porter and Kyle Anderson. Very different playing styles, different skill sets. Uh, but just two wing um, players that are solid on defense. Porter is a really good shooter. Anderson is um, an improved shooter. Um, he's a lot better than he, he used to be when he came into the league. Um, I know that he was at uh, 33% this season, 36% last season. So he's still slightly below average. But... You gotta at least respect him out there, but he's a he's a good playmaker and passer. He's a good defender. He can rebound. Um, he can play kind of any role you want him to. Um, and then Porter's um, just your prototypical three and D player, so um, he can really fit on any team. I think he'd be a great addition for a team like the Lakers that could use shooting and defense because um, they've got some guys that can shoot that don't play defense and some guys that play defense but can't shoot. So. Um, yeah, I think both these guys will fit on any team. I think Anderson, um, he's only 28, so he'll probably get um, a pretty – he's probably going to get more than like a minimum, for example. Porter might have to settle for the minimum. He's 29, but he's had some up-and-down seasons. He's been injury-prone. Um, he's um, been below double-digit points for the past few years after being around the 15 points per game with uh, Washington and then Chicago before that. Uh, so we'll see. I think both these guys on the right deal could help out a, a contender immensely. But And that'll do it for today's pod. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I know we have free agency starting on July 1st. That's this Friday. So I will likely do a show um, maybe over the weekend just so we can see some of those deals start to come through. Um, I'm sure we might get some leaks on Thursday night. I know we had a lot of stuff break before free agency officially started last year. Um, I know there was some tampering handed out. So maybe that won't happen this year. Who knows? Um, but I'll react to some of the deals, um, see if there's any um, new developments in the Brooklyn um, saga that's been going on. Um, and additionally, I, my new microphone should be here by then. So hopefully the sound will be a little better. But uh, thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.